Welcome again to Northwest. My name is Jerry, one of the pastors here. It's my joy to be here with you guys. Um, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be, Acts chapter 2. Um, are you guys all wide awake this morning? So this is what it feels like if we were to have an 11.45 a.m. service. How many people would be in favor of that? Some of you? All right, so here's a quick question for you. So how many people spend your extra hour on Friday night? Or sorry, Saturday night. It's like you look, you look at the clock and it's like 11.15, but you're like, aha, nope, it's actually really only 10.15. How many people spend it on Saturday night that way? A few of you. How many people save that bad boy until the morning? You're still not changing nothing. You're looking at it, going to sleep at the same time, and then the next morning you're like, oh yeah, I got an extra hour. How many of those people, like myself, who are very responsible? And yes, okay, good. Awesome. Well, regardless, it is great to have you guys here. Welcome. And um, man, we're so excited to dive into this chapter, Acts chapter 2, this opening section. Man, without a doubt, one of the most power-packed, exciting passages in all of Scripture. Last week, we talked a little bit about Acts 1-8, that idea that Jesus gave us the promise that said, you will receive power. All right, now how many people have had a bad experience with electric power? Raise your hand up in the air really high, okay? Now, I don't believe that I've shared this from the stage. Maybe some of you sitting around our living room in our house. I know that we've shared it with friends, but I don't think I have told any of you the time that I had a bad experience with power slash the day my wife almost killed me. Okay, and basically, in a nutshell, here's what happened. We were at our home in Michigan, and I was entrusted with the task of changing a giant chandelier that was right inside of our front door. It was like two stories high in the entryway, okay? And of course, we didn't have an A-frame ladder that got that high, so instead, I just had an extension ladder that we put all the way up and kind of leaned against the rail. So the problem with this, and, and I'll actually illustrate, by the way, do you love our backdrop here? Isn't this sweet? One of the joys of being in a portable high school, and this is their fall play backdrop. Um, Apparently, it's Peter Pan, and by the way, that's why there's that little black thing up there. It's a really eerie tree that there was no way to get around for our screen. But apparently, this is Peter Pan, and if we had thought um, well in advance, maybe we could have tied in this theme of Acts with Peter Pan somehow. You remember last week, the ascension of Jesus, like Peter Pan, like maybe the little contraption, and like slowly could have been raised up, and that would have been... Quite a visual, but no such luck. But anyway, so there I was, and I was going to be changing this, and I climbed up the ladder like this, and if you're listening on the podcast, you're totally missing out on the visual, but I'm like 15 feet in the air at least, right? And it's leaning this way, and I have to lean this way into the great abyss in order to change out this massive light fixture, okay? So I got nothing in front of me. And of course, I asked my wife about five times, now, honey, you did cut the power off, right? You cut the power off. Becca, you did cut the power off. Yes, Jer, I cut the power off. So I get up there, start unscrewing stuff and untwisting the things. And sure enough, yeah, she cut the power off. In her mind, that was turning the switch. I'm thinking more like fuse box cut the power like you should. And it was one of those that's on two different switches. So the other one was turned on, that overrode the, you know, the wimpy one over here. It was a dominance thing, apparently. But 
it was on, it was live, and I literally almost fell straight down. Thankfully, I'm very muscular and I uh, have a lot of balance and I can withstand a lot, um, as you can tell by my physical prowess here. And I was able to stay on that ladder and everything was okay. But I experienced a zap of power like I've never felt before. Maybe some of you guys have had a similar experience as well. Well, this morning we're talking about an infusion of power that's so much greater than these little illustrations that we have here as part of foolishness on earth. And this is going to be an unbelievable passage where we see God fulfill his promise that he had just made. Now, it's my task as a pastor and a minister of the gospel to try and take very complicated things and simplify them enough that you can understand them and then we can get the full counsel of everything that's going on here in this passage. And um, one of the things that we talk about here, the, the reason that we're so excited about this series for our church is because we want to be the kind of church that is a church of action, not just information. There's a guy named Francis Chan, many of you have probably heard of him, incredible communicator, and he gave this illustration that I thought was so key for us in the church in America. And he said, imagine the frustration of a coach. Okay, there's like God, our coach, and he's got his players, and you know, they're out there in, in the field, and they huddle up, and they talk about the play, and you know how it is, it's like, all right, what we're going to do is a you know, quarter, button fly, left, on three, break, and they all clap, and they all break up, and they're all excited, but instead of getting there up on that line, they all scurry right back off to the sidelines. Play clock runs out. They turn around. They come back. All right, here we go. Guys, we ready for this? Yep, let's do this. Say, huddle up again. All right, we want blue 52, whatever. Okay, ready, break. And once again, they scurry right back over to the sidelines. Imagine how this coach's mind would just want to explode because he's like, what are you guys doing? Here we are, we're, we're inspired, we've practiced, you've got the jersey on, you've got the uniform on, everything is equipped, everything's ready, you've got the playbook, you've talked about it, you've huddled up, you're excited, but you don't actually get on the line and you don't actually hike the ball and engage in what we're supposed to be engaging in, in, in the plan. And I just thought that was such a beautiful frustrating illustration of how sometimes the American church can act. We gather together and we huddle together week after week, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or whether it's in your small group or your life group or whatever it is. We talk about the plan. We get inspired by the plan. We're excited about the plan. But then you never actually engage in taking forth ground from the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that kind of church. And I don't want to be that kind of person. Because as I was listening to that, I'm like, yeah, guilty as charged. How many times have I sat through a great message or, you know, read scripture, had a great life group, and then it's like you just head right back to the sidelines until next week. I don't want to be that. And my prayer for us today as we dive in Acts chapter 2 is that, that, that we're not going to be that. And um, man, there's a, there's a lot of awesome stuff in here that, that I believe God has for us here this morning. Um, so here's kind of the way we've crafted the message, okay? This is going to be a little bit of a different message. But basically, I broke it down into three different parts. 
in Acts chapter 2. First one is the historical, in other words, what happened here. The second is the spiritual, why did this happen? And the third is the practical, okay? What does this mean for me? So if you got your, your study guide and you're taking notes or whatever it is, all this stuff's going to be up on the screen. But, uh, but man, we are fired up and excited to dive in. And it's a lot of stuff. You guys ready? You with me this morning? You wide awake and alert, enthusiastic? Not quite bought in. Anyway, let's dive in, guys. Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the church. You ever been in a birthing room before? It's exciting, it's anxious, there's lightning bolts and thunder and fire, and we're going to see all that stuff right here as the church is being born. All right, so let's dive in. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now when, this is the historical side of it. Now when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues just as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, now we'll just stop right there and let's just give the summary of what happened here. It says that this day was Pentecost. It's important to recognize that's one of the festivals of the Jewish people Three times a year, they've got these big festivals where everybody has to come back to Jerusalem. And penta means 50. And so Pentecost was the Greek word for 50 days that they've celebrated since the Passover. Okay? So you remember, even in the life of Christ, the timeline, maybe if you haven't been here, uh, we're talking about, you know, Jesus had just left, had just ascended the chapter before he had shown himself for 40 days to people that he was alive that he had risen and you remember he rose on on a sunday and the passover was several days before that so this you can see the timeline this was 50 days since the passover and what's very unique even about this historically it says that they were here um, all together in one place in chapter one it talks about how they were there in an upper room um, devoting themselves to prayer, remember that? How sweet would it be? We don't know for sure, but we can conjecture that this was the very same upper room that Jesus had met with his disciples, where they had the Last Supper, where he broke communion with them and established that, and where they had that Passover Seder together. So here we are now, 50 days from the Sabbath following the Passover. How ironic, how amazing, how incredible that this is the time when the church is born, when these people from all these other nations, all these other tribes, all these other countries are in Jerusalem. It was the perfect time for this to happen. So this mighty rushing wind came, these crazy tongues of fire came and descended. There was an incredibly loud sound. All these people were wondering what was happening. People were gathered around. It was insane. And as a matter of fact, all the way at the end of uh, uh, verse 13, it says, man, some of the people were even mocking them, saying they are filled with new wine. And I love what, uh, what Peter says in verse 14. Peter, standing with the 11, lifted his voice and said, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. 
what is this, St. Patrick's Day? Love that joke, I'm sorry. But no, they're not drinking. This is not what you think. This is incredible pouring out of the Spirit, an incredible display of power and miraculous uh, activity. Historically, that's what's happened. Now I'm going to jump right to the spiritual because this is important. And man, you guys got to track with me on this because we're talking about a lot of history here. But I truly believe, church, that it is worth the payoff when you really understand what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. Now, to fully understand, you need to recognize that this, as we mentioned, was the birth of the church. And what happened right here was about revelation and fulfillment. Now, Pentecost is important for several reasons. We, uh, we already mentioned, number one, that it was 50 days from the Sabbath right after the Passover. And it was a Jewish feast where they would give a thank offering basically for the fruitfulness of the harvest. So this day is happening uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the church is empowered, and when all this happens, it is coming on the day where they're thankful for the fruits God has given and represents new life. How cool is that? That's the first piece of it. The second piece goes even deeper and is absolutely fascinating. And that is the connection, the correlation between what happened in Acts chapter 2 in the birth of the church and Moses and Mount Sinai. For the Jewish people, this idea of Pentecost was also an anniversary for when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so they would celebrate this as the anniversary, this incredible account of when God displayed um, his desire for his people. Now, Trek with me. We're going we're gonna to plug through this. And I've got several important verses from the book of Exodus that we have to make this connection point in order to really get the significance. All right? I don't know how you guys are with history and whether or not you, you love those kinds of movies where at the end you can finally see where all the hints and all the foreshadowings were leading up to it and it makes it that much more significant. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. It's not just, oh, this is when the church is born. There's a correlation that's incredible if we'll just mentally track on it and make it happen. Okay, now first of all, we recognize in Exodus chapter 3, this is where God, for the first time, tells his name to humans. That's the account, of course, with Moses where he's on the backside of this mountain called the mountain of God. And all of a sudden he sees this incredible sight, this, uh, this bush that's on fire, that's an inferno, and the bush speaks to him. And it's God manifesting himself through this glory, through this flame. And that's something that you see a lot in the Old Testament. You see that idea of God manifesting himself through fire, which represents power and purification and glory. And so here in Exodus chapter 3, you get Moses and you get this incredible dialogue where this great and powerful God displaying himself like a fire in all of its holiness and saying, Moses, I want you to basically be the savior for my people who are enslaved. And so he calls Moses into something great. And you'll remember that Moses continually came up with excuses. I'm too old. I don't know how to talk. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I send somebody else. And yet this glorious, powerful, 
um, blaze display was all sufficient and spoke his name for the very first time to Moses. And he said, my name is I am. Tell them that the I am has sent you. So in his humanity, I'm weak, I can't do it. But God in his blaze of glory says, I will empower you, I will do it. That's big for us. Let's keep on tracking on in, um, in Exodus. What else do we see? Exodus chapter 19. This is on Mount Sinai and this is huge. So the people had come out of Egypt. Moses had led them. And now here they are at the base of the Mount Sinai. And in an incredible display of power, God comes down to communicate to his people. Exodus chapter 19, you read it, you imagine the scene. It's like Mount Vesuvius or something like that. It's this giant mountain. There's a display of fire that comes down. There's smoke. There's thunder and lightning. All these powerful displays of this great, awesome, holy, incredible, fearful, and dreadful God. And yet what God says to them in Exodus chapter 19 is he says this, you are going to be my people, the the people of Israel. You are going to be my people and you are going to be, I've got it right up there, a kingdom of priests. In other words, you, nation of Israel, are going to be my representatives to the world. That's the covenant that was laid down there in Exodus chapter 19. Fulfilling all of the other covenants and adding to it, this is what's now going to happen. Now, it's important for us to recognize that in Exodus chapter 34, God also explains to them who he is and what they're going to be. Again, if they're going to be representatives to the world, they need to know who is this God. And for the first time, God talks about his own characteristics. And here's what it says. This is a summary. He says, the Lord, this is God talking, remember. Here's who I am. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in love. He is forgiving, but he will also deal with the guilty. In other words, what God is saying is this kind of kingdom, the way I'm going to rule, it's going to be a kingdom of love and justice. So then in Exodus chapter 20, next chapter, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them a lot of other commandments. Here's how you're going to deal with each other. Here's the laws that I have to show you that you are a people set apart and that you're holy. But this is going to be a kingdom of love and justice. Okay? One final one that's important for us. Exodus chapter 40. Part of the laws that he gave was all about the tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 40, again, with a massive display of thunder and fire and smoke, God comes down and hovers this incredible uh, nature uh, display of power over the tabernacle. Here's what I want you to do. Here's why I want you to make it. Chapters and chapters and chapters. And basically God is saying, this is where I'm going to dwell. I'm now going to come down and I'm going to be among my people okay so this is big too much history we good exodus is an incredible precursor 
to what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Well, in what way? What are you talking about? Well, you've got some of those same elements, right? You've got this uh, whole idea of thunder and wind and noise here coming down from this mountain. Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden you get this giant rushing wind, Scripture says, that was so loud that all the people around were attracted and came over. And in, uh, in Exodus chapter 19, you've got this idea of fire on the mountain, this power, this glory, this display. And in Acts chapter 2, you've got fire as well coming down. In Exodus chapter 19, you've got this idea that God says, all right, you're going to be my people. You're going to be my representative. You're going to be a kingdom of priests, and you're going to take this love and justice, and I'm going to work through you, nation of Israel. Show myself to the nations through you. Empower you. Work through you. And in Acts chapter 2, you get this same idea that God is now coming down in an incredible, miraculous fashion to empower the church to do the same thing. And man, I don't know, you know, uh, when you think about some of this and you think about this history and it's hard for us to picture it or imagine it, but I'm here to tell you this morning that we serve a God that is powerful and active. And if there's any great time to live, right now is the time to live. Because what we're going to show you here uh, in this practical side of things is that God has set us up and cued us up and has positioned us in such a way to make an incredible difference for him in the world if we are willing. So let's go ahead and talk about the practical side of this. What does this mean for us? Several points that I'd love for you to write down if you're taking notes The first one is this, we are now God's temple. We are now God's temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, the apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So again, the correlation, you think about way back when, it was God, it was in this temple, only several times a year could somebody who was a priest, a high priest, enter in, make all the sacrifices, go all the way in to the holiest of holies, and could communicate with God that way, and, and, and ask for forgiveness and all of this. And now, in this day and age, according to Acts chapter 2, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has come down and has indwelled each of us. We are now his temple. So no longer is it doing all these external things and, and, and far off and distant and fearful and reverent, which is, which is good because God is holy. But now it's no Acts chapter 2. God's saying, I have made you holy. You are my temple now. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this, In Jesus also, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
So guys, what we need to communicate to you here, this whole idea of the Holy Spirit, this whole idea of a new way that God is going to deal with us, is that what we see in this passage, the Holy Spirit comes down and is indwelling these early apostles. Now what we see from Ephesians chapter 1 is that that moment of salvation, if you're here with us this morning and, and you can remember that time or you know that there was a profound change in your life when you said yes to Jesus, I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to believe in the blood that you shed for me, I want that new life, I surrender myself to you by, by faith alone. When, when you had that moment of salvation, scripture teaches that you are then indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It happened, God is now living inside of you. You're a new temple, you're a new creation, old things are passed away, all things are made new, and you're not going to lose that. The Holy Spirit is within you. That's what happened in salvation. That's what we believe in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, the point of confusion comes amongst many different traditions and denominations. Uh, when, it, when it talks about speaking in tongues here, in verse 4 and verse 5 and beyond, and people are like, all right, well, what do we do? Do we continually pray for, uh, even if we're Christians, do we continually pray for another blessing, for some sort of miraculous uh, thing, kind of like we saw here in Acts chapter 2? That's not the kind of speaking in tongues that it's talking about here. I don't know if you've been to a church like I have where they have speaking in tongues and there's a bunch of things that you can't understand. They're not known languages. It just seems like it's a little bit of gibberish and like you can't really understand it. I don't know if you've ever been to any of those kinds of churches. That's another message for another time. But that's not the same thing that was going on here. These were known languages, miraculously given by the power of God for the spread of the gospel. Now it's important for us to recognize that although we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit as a church and as individuals, we do at some level have a control as to how much we're going to allow the Spirit of God to fill us. Right? There's two different key phrases and actually many more than that in the New Testament that are vital for us. One says, do not quench the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, I want to say, says, do not grieve the Spirit of God within you. So even though God's residing in this temple, and if you're a believer, he's residing in you as well, there's an element that we have to be open and submissive and invitational to God to say, Lord, I need you to come fill me up. I know that you're already in there, and I know you're not going to leave, and you're a deposit guaranteeing my future, my relationship. I'm now your son. But at the same time, I have allowed things into my life that are quenching and grieving and resisting your influence. And I want to make that distinction very clear here this morning. So for every one of us, when we come in, it is a good and proper prayer to say, oh Lord, I want to make myself open to your spirit this morning. Lord, reveal to me areas of my heart where I've allowed sin to creep in, where I've allowed there to be a distance between you and me because I want to hear from you. I want to be empowered by you. I want to make a difference for you and I know that I need your spirit working through me in order to truly do that. And so for these guys, it was an incredible illustration of God's power. What else did it do on the practical level? We recognize that now we are ambassadors to the nations. 
Keep on reading here in, uh, in verse 5. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And he carries on to list out about a dozen different nationalities from all over the world that had gathered there in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, church, right now, this whole idea of what God has done for us and setting us apart, now making us his representatives like we talked about last week, it involves the nations. How providential that God would come down at this moment and allow this to happen to spread this great message to all these other people from all these different nationalities. And if we're going to be a church like the Acts 2 church, we have got to have a heartbeat that is beating for people in other parts of the world. Now I want to tell you this morning that we've got several of those already, right? Part of our church's heartbeat is to support people around the world. We've got the Kenyan pastors. Many of you know Emmanuel. And there's a group of about 13 of them that we support at one level or another, including paying several salaries of these Kenyan pastors so that they can be equipped, so that they can go out into the bush, so that they can share the gospel with their people in their language. Your support of Northwest is sending them out. Think about the celebration of people like the Hutchersons over in Beirut in the middle of uh, Lebanon. The safe haven house for, um, for abused girls that many of our uh, people went and ministered to even this past summer. And you think of Caleb even um, preaching and equipping and teaching people in the Arab world how to effectively share the gospel. That's happening. Think about my friend Ryan Simchenko over in East Asia and his wife and what they're doing there with discipleship of hundreds and thousands of people concentrated in this college area with so many singles and so many college students sharing the gospel there in the nations. I think about Dima and Maria Kotick ministering in the areas around Russia and Ukraine. And we could go on and on and on and talk about mission trips and going there and supporting and equipping and all that's great. But what you have in Acts chapter 2 is the nations had come to Jerusalem. And I'm just telling you right now as a church, is it ironic that the triangle area of North Carolina has one of the most highly concentrated um, groupings of, uh, of people not native to the United States of, of anywhere in the state? And going one step even further than that, is it ironic that this church uh, right now, this school and where we're going to be in this whole area of Northwest Cary, uh, just in the zip code 27519, just in that zip code. Okay, not talking about 27502, that's me down in Apex. Not talking about other people that are slightly in some of these other towns. I'm just talking about 27519. Did you know there are over 15 thousand internationals that are here just in that zip code 
As a matter of fact, we did a quick little search on the number of uh, internationally based groups, um, uh, shopping centers, restaurants, and I've got this little Right up here, I don't know if you can see what's going on there. There's Thomas, Thomas Brooks Park, there's 55, there's 40. Look at all of those concentrations of businesses and shopping centers that cater to and specialize in ministry to specific people groups. I'm telling you what, God has uniquely placed us as a church in a spot right now where we can be ambassadors to the nations. And if we're ignoring that or if we're only hanging out people, with people that look exactly like us, then God's blessing is not going to be upon this place because he's placed us here and empowered us to go. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the people in your school, in your neighborhood, maybe the people that are servers at a restaurant, maybe the person that is the teller at the bank or whatever it is. And I want you to think about this challenge to be an ambassador to the nations. That was given to them in Acts chapter 2, and that is given to us today. And the last thing that I want to mention, guys, is just so unbelievably eye-opening to me. And it's this idea that, uh, you know, I mentioned early on, we are living in a time right now that is the greatest time to live. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to end our time. I want you to turn there if you've got your Bible. I'm going to go to a couple different verses, but I just want to tell you guys that we, what we're experiencing right now is a new and a better covenant than what they had in the Old Testament. It's new and it's better and now's the time. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, start reading. The Apostle Paul says, man, we've got confidence uh, through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, here it is, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. So these are not my words, these are Paul's words. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So what are you talking about when you say not of the letter? Well, in verse 7 he tells us, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. Okay, stop right there. Quick backtrack again to Exodus. Moses used to go up, again, this is in the context of Ten Commandments, here's the laws, here's how I want my people to live. Yup, it's a kingdom of love and justice, but there's a lot of regulations. And again, Moses would go, Moses would spend time with God, Moses would be in his presence, and so much radiant glory from the presence of God, when he would walk down, there was a glory, a glow, but it would slowly be fading away. Okay, that's important in this illustration. Verse 7, he says, if that came with glory, even though it was fading, verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So what we have now is even better, it's saying. Verse 16, 
When one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So come on, it wasn't just these laws about, yep, you need to show love to each other, yep, you need to show justice, you need to be merciful, you need to take care of the poor. It wasn't just those laws. Now Paul is saying, with this new spirit, with this new fire, with this new uh, situation where we are empowered, we have freedom to do as much of this as we want. Verse 18, it says, And we all now, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it's here, church, that we get the idea that on a personal level and even on a corporate level, we can make decisions, we can enter into actions that are going to allow our influence to be even more, even more, even more. Glory from one degree to the next degree to the next degree. Moses' glory was fading away. That was done. Now we have a new covenant where we can give God all the more glory according to our righteousness and according to his new laws of love and justice. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. So how do we put legs on all this? What, what are we really getting at? What do we want to do as a result of all this? Well, I think what we recognize here uh, as we look at God's glory and as we look at all of his powers, we see in the old system that glory can fade. That glory can dim. That glory can be diminished. And on a personal level and on a church level, the same thing is true for us. If we're not careful, if we're not open, if we don't posture ourselves or we ask God to open our eyes and our hearts and confess our sins and be ready to be filled and to be sent out, our glory can be diminished. It's sobering to read about the churches in Revelation that had these lampstands, these seven different churches whose lampstands were taken away. Their influence, their light was diminished and taken away. Because they weren't sincere, because they lost their first love, because they talked a lot about things but never actually did them. My prayer for our church is that we will be the ones that live in this glorious, passionate freedom. Who understand that we are the carriers of this message now. We are the image bearers now. We are the extensions of Jesus now. So we've got all the freedom in the world to take what he did and to repeat it and to increase it. What did that look like? Well, you got to look at the life of Jesus. Running to the broken. Running to the needy running to the spiritually hungry, to the physically ill, to the ones who were called the least of these. Our job as a church in this new covenant has to be to pursue the marginalized. And I love the hints of that that I see through our life groups and through our programs. I love the idea of uh, running to the needy through donating to the White Oak Foundation. Giving somebody the joy and the pleasure of life and celebration through the night to shine with our special needs community. 
life groups who are helping single mothers through the Hand of Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center, life groups who are helping the several families hoping and praying to be able to have the privilege of adopting. All these different stories are coming out, and we want to be a church that increases that sort of righteousness over and over and over again. So what's the play for this week? The play for this week is to look at this passage in Acts chapter 2 and realize the power of God, the purpose of God, the holiness of God, the reverence of God, and recognize it in the Old Testament. He showed that and kept people at a distance. But in Acts chapter 2, he draws them near. So near, in fact, he says, I'm going to actually make you into my temple. And I want to set you, church, loose into the world to continue on my love and my justice. So are we going to be actively waiting for that this week? Are we going to be vigilant? Are we going to have our eyes open, looking for those opportunities even to share with the nations that God brings right to our door? I'm open and praying that we will. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our great God, we just thank you for your power. And Lord, we know that we can be so guilty of resisting it. We can be guilty of... Um, unknowingly not even opening ourselves up to that, God. But Father, I just pray by that power of your Holy Spirit that you would invade each of our lives, that you would allow us to confess our sins and bring light to the dark areas of our heart, Lord, that we might be full of you as much as possible. And Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen us as we go out. And Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I thank you that you have equipped us and empowered us to make a difference in this broken world. So lead us and guide us, we pray in your son's name.